being in Christ changes us. And there's certain specific ways in which we are changed when we become one, when we are married, when we are no longer Brian and Jen, but the Harveys, a couple married together. And being united to God in that same really beautiful way. You may be one choice away from a thriving marriage. Welcome to the Operation Thriving Marriage Podcast with Brian and Jennifer Harvey. So welcome again to the Operation Thriving Marriage Podcast. I am way more excited about this one than Jen is, everybody. Oh boy. I am the theology nerd, the Bible nerd, and we're I've wanted to do this episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. If not, Woo-hoo! you'll enjoy making fun of how excited I am about this, but we're going to talk theology today. Right, but it, it's not... It's not so nerdalicious, if you will, that nerdalicious you know, is nerdalicious that a word? is a word now. <laughs> um, this English uh, degree holder says so. But the reason that I'm saying that is I think this is very applicable, and we're going to make sure we're breaking this down in, into chunks that us, you know, non Master of Divinity people uh, can relate with and, and can understand to give you a better understanding of God is relating to your your marriage and how to best follow Him in in that to improve your marriage. So often, and this is a big frustration of mine. And again, I'm the Bible nerd. I love this stuff. If I could get paid for just sitting down and reading good theology books, Jeff Bezos would have nothing on me. Who, I, who listening right now wants to hire my husband to read, you know, reach out to us over <laughs> speakpipe at operationthrivingmarriage.com. Hit the send voicemail button. I'm your man. I'll read them all. I get frustrated the way theology is taught because it's so stilted. It's mm-hmm. so this, then this, then this, therefore, bleh. And there's no energy, there's no passion, nothing to inspire me to get closer to God. Yet theology, in the Middle Ages, it was called the queen of the sciences. It was, mm-hmm. it's exciting, it's passionate, you should be excited about what you believe, and then all this theology stuff. And I think that's why a lot of pastors have not put as much theology into their sermons in the past 20, 30 years, because the way they were taught in seminary, they were doing a main line of caffeine just to stay awake in yeah, that. We don't, we modest- don't want to bore the congregation. No. But it's not boring. It's not. It's exciting. And it's important because what you believe impacts what you do and feel. Mm-hmm. What you believe is important. What you believe about God is important. Absolutely. I mean, what, your beliefs. What you believe about marriage and your relationship to your spouse because of God. Everything. Your beliefs impact what you do and how you feel. And if your beliefs aren't, I don't want to, I don't want to make fun. It's not like if your beliefs aren't correct. I mean, there's things that are just absolutely true. But more importantly, if you don't think about what you believe, it's just you know, going back to Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. Right. And and really, God gives us this opportunity through Scripture and how He can speak to us as to how life really is. So just in, in kind of digging into that, what are your thoughts about the purpose of marriage? So why marriage? This is important because why marriage? Why be married? Why stay married? We need to have a reason for it. I mean, Simon Sinek says, You're probably start with asking why. yourself the same thing every day. I'm just kidding. <laughs> First of all, I think we need to stop the myth about marriage being about happiness. 
Yes, and marriage is not structured to be around happiness, although that's what pop culture in the West is just screaming at us and announcing from the rooftops, the mountaintops, and using the megaphone. Marriage is about happiness for me. So if he or she doesn't make you happy, if you're not happy in marriage anymore, eh, end it. Go find go find the right... See, what happened is you didn't marry the right person. Uh-oh. And so since you're not with the right person, you're not happy. Go find the right person, which is harder to find than a needle in a haystack. How do I find the right person? And then you will be happy. And when you're happy, that's a, that's a bunch of sensor profanity. That's a bunch of Let's say stuff. nonsense. Nonsense. Good. Nonsense. Marriage is not about happiness. Marriage really, the purpose, the intent of marriage really comes down to helping us fulfill why we're here to begin with, helping us fulfill the purpose we have. Your marriage is about you being the person that God created you to be, not happy but holy and fulfilling that intent. And so I really want to dive into first, what, why are we here? Why are we here will then tell us why we get married. So just talking about the purpose of humanity. Yeah. And so I really like the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So why does that stick with you? I really like that because it really makes the focus God, not me. You know, yet at the same time, there's something about God that is beneficial for me. God didn't create people to be little minions that he can take like the whack-a-mole and just thump them on the head for his entertainment. He created them to enjoy being with him. And I think the problem is, again, the the false things that we hear from the media that we hear out in culture is that to glorify God, you're somehow suppressing yourself, suppressing your emotions, suppressing your desires, and that's all kinds of problems um, for you. But actually, for you to put God in his proper place and to have yourself be in the proper place, you're really becoming all that you were designed to be under a loving God, a loving father in that right relationship. You are more you when you glorify God and enjoy him. That's it. You are more, mm-hmm. you are more Jen. You become, your Jenness becomes more real. Oh dear. You're, you're in God. And so I, I really enjoy the Ask N.T. Write Anything podcast. I really enjoy reading N.T. Wright's books. Yeah, that's your new man crush. Yeah, it used to or be Bono. Actually, maybe longtime man crush, but <laughs> it, yes, it used to be Bono. It used to be Bono, but then I grew up and now I've got a crush on N.T. Wright. Maybe Wright. that's because you still hadn't found what you were looking for until N.T. Wright. But um, tsh, that, that, was, that was really bad. That was horrible. <laughs> Um, Follow me for more dad jokes. There you go. Um, hey, that, hey that, that's my job. Oh, no. Don't take my job away. Not stepping on toes. So N.T. Wright, he talks a lot about what we're here for. And I recently um, finished his book, After You Believe. It was a really long, I wanted to like quote N.T. Wright because again, he's my man crush. I want, and it was way too long for the podcast. So I'm just going to summarize it for you. But really the purpose he says of what humanity is, is to become genuine human beings reflecting God in whose image we're made through worship and mission. 
Oh, that's beautiful. So it's worshiping God and fulfilling, I would guess, his mission for people in general, but also whatever God's specific mission and calling is to you as, a, as an individual. Yeah, and it really, it ties into the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the great commission, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's where he pulls all that out of. Our purpose is to be fully human. So at the fall, when our first parents sinned, they became something less than human. I don't want to say subhuman because that has some connotations that are not correct. They're not no longer human, but they're less fully human than they were intended to be. They're separated from what God designed humanity to be. Yeah, and this isn't exactly apples to apples on it, but it almost sounds like they were meant to be these really high-end, beautiful, fantastic performing sports cars, but they put a big scratch on themselves. Yeah, or even like totally blew up the engine. And now that you've had to replace the engine with like a Fiat engine and not that mm-hmm. Fiats are bad, but you don't want a Fiat engine compared in a to Lamborghini. Performance car, sure. <laughs> yeah, so we become more human when we become more like Jesus, who is the fully human one, the one that truly expresses the image of God. Yeah, and it, it's interesting too, because it seems like Jesus was so human, people had a hard time believing he was God. In a sense, yeah, it's like because he was there in person. But- and so real and in experiencing human emotions and in just being a, a that incarnate God. And that's that misunderstanding of God again, right? That God is so distant, so other that we can't reach out to him. And in part, that's true. That's why Jesus came, mm-hmm. because we can't reach God. That was what we learned, I mean, all the way back in Genesis with the Tower of Babel. We can't reach God. But God loves us too much, so he reaches out to us. And the entire story of the Bible from Genesis 3 on is us screwing things up and God reaching out to us and reaching out to us, ultimately fully reaching out to us in Jesus. And Genesis 126 really ties into this idea of our purpose. And I want to hit on this, and then I want to talk about how marriage helps us do this. Mm-hmm. So Genesis 126, then God said, let us make humankind in our image and our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the earth. That image and likeness means we should do things like God. We should be like God. That was, he put humanity here to represent him Paul uses the um, analogy of an ambassador. We are Christ's ambassadors here. Mm -hmm. It's more than that. It's this full experience. We have the authority of God because he made us that way. But we therefore need to do things like God. And we need to love each other like God loves us. Absolutely. But it's not usurping God's position as God. He's still God. We're just acting as his children to be co-creators with him, co-rulers with him, but always under his authority and not trying to usurp that from him. There's this great essay by J.R.R. Tolkien called On Fairy Stories, and he talks about how art is an expression of the image of God. We can't create ex nihilo out of nothing like God. We can't start with nothing and then there's something. 
Mm-hmm. But what we can do is take what's here and make something new. Right. Again, connecting with my musical theater bend from The Sound of Music, nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. But God did, and God did amazing things out of that. And now we, as his children, as his icons, as his idols, as his idols in the sense of not that he idolizes us, but we are the idol representing him, like the idol represented the pagan God in the temple. We represent God. In a healthy way. That was the purpose of what we are, and we should be doing things like God. And then rule, it's not about control. It's not Mm -hmm. about now I can manipulate the world to my benefit. Right. It almost seems to me like you've got an owner and then an owner of a restaurant, say, and then you've got the manager. God owns it. We're there to be the managers. And Jesus talks about in the Gospel of Matthew about the vineyard owner, and then he was hiring people to work it and manage it, and they screwed the whole thing up. And, And Jesus says at the end of that parable that actually comes to fruition that God is going to clear those people who were managing things out and destroy them. And then he was going to bring in new managers who would take care of things in the way that he'd want them to. So this is one of the things that's a frustration for me is like people think, well, God put us here to rule over creation. Therefore, we can do whatever we want with it. But it's really more the way modern leadership studies and philosophers and ethicists are talking about what leadership is. It's not ruling over I make you do what I want. Mm -hmm. It's rather ordering things to the degree to make it better. Mm -hmm. Again, like the artist who takes paint and canvas and blue is pretty. It doesn't, you don't need something different. It's a pretty color. There are pretty colors. The canvas, there's nothing wrong with the canvas, but put them together through a skilled hand it makes something beautiful. Or thinking of like Michelangelo's statues, you know, or the Sistine Chapter. You take something and it's fine. It's good as it is, but the artist skillfully makes it better, brings order and beauty out of that. And so this idea of ruling over creation is God has given good things. Our responsibility is to the word husbandry, take care of, make things better. Mm -hmm. Uh, We should be making things better. This earth should not be getting worse and worse because of what we're doing. It should be getting better and better. Our children, the people we work with, our marriage should be getting better and better because we're taking the raw material and ordering it in such a way to bring out beauty and purpose. And that goes back to the garden where, of course, we had natural resources, we we had gold, we had other things that were already here. And it seems like the garden was not this perfectly manicured landscape. This is something where God was giving it to uh, Adam and Eve, and they were supposed to be working it. And I don't think that it was a terrible, burdensome, laborious, uh, physical labor, lots of toil and problems kind of gig. It was an easier kind of thing, but they were meant to be working that and improving it. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing order to it, um, making it something more positive. And so the purpose of marriage is to help us better be the humans that God created us to be. And that's great. And as you're listening to this, for you who are married, yes, marriage is to help us fulfill our purpose as humans. That doesn't mean that people who are single are any less than, aren't any better than. But if you are married, 
that marriage is to help you fulfill your purpose as humans. Yeah, and so that that's the why of marriage. That's why be married, married. That's why get married. If God has called one to singleness, then one should stay single. One is not. That's why I didn't like the language of subhuman because one is not subhuman if they're not married. They're not less than. No doubt. They're expressing their humanity and their purpose is still to become genuine human beings reflecting God through worship and mission. And Jesus and Paul were single. Absolutely. It's one of those things where they they were good examples of folks who are are single. And, and how do you live in a godly way as a married person, as a single person? This is a marriage podcast, so that's why we're focusing in on marriage. Right. And so our marriage helps us be those genuine human beings who are made in the image of God, who express that through worship and mission. It helps us glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So that means that our marriage should be making us more holy. Peter says, quoting God from Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. I like the way C.S. Lewis talks about it. It's like, that's not just gas. That's not, not just, oh, that, that's a pretty language. No, when God says, be holy as I am holy, he means it. Mm-hmm. He want, But it's not, holiness is not this, you know, I'm thinking of Monty Python with the monks, blah, 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 smack, and they hit themselves with the book. You know, holiness it, is it not- yourself in the head with the book. That's, that's holy. That's not holy. It's not self-flagellation. It's not- Oh, I am less than. I am I am opposed to worm theology. We are human beings created in the image of God. We are not sinful worms. We are human beings created in the image of God who have marred that image through our sin. And marriage, the purpose of being together, of living that life together, is to be more that person that God created us to be. And our spouse helps us do that. Which is what that holiness is, because I think a lot of people think of someone who is really long in the face and really upset and just not a joy-filled person, um, somebody who is just really somber all the time. Kind of like the the kid went up to the donkey that they had, had never seen a donkey before and just said, you know what? I don't know um, what's going on with you, but I know you must be a Christian because you look like grandpa because you're so long in the face, right? <laughs> um, but Again, you're stealing my dad jokes. But the the holiness kind of movement that you see in the United States, I think, it, again, unfortunately, it's gotten a bad rap because the idea is they're, they're somber. They, they don't care about anybody else. It, it's just about putting themselves under these rules that aren't helpful. But really being holy and growing in holiness is about becoming that truest expression of yourself, which is the fulfillment of your humanity that God wants to have for you and is going to set us up to be the truest expression of ourselves as individuals and then together as a people. Yeah, going back to my man crush, N.T. Wright, he talks about um, it's like learning a new language. Mm-hmm. Where it's like at first it's hard and you're practicing conjugations and you're working on this and it's not natural. The goal is to be able to speak that language as if it's second nature. The fluidity. It's just it but to do that, you've got to work hard, you've got to follow rules, you've mm-hmm. got to discipline yourself so that it becomes second nature. Marriage is a place that helps define those rules helps, hey, these are the rules that you need to do. But also marriage gives you a partner who is learning the language together. Um, I studied martial arts for a long time in um, late teens, early adult years before I joined the Air Force. And you can't learn martial arts watching a videotape. You need to have people who are there with you 
who are encouraging you and correcting you. Marriage gives the perfect partner who is there learning character, learning the virtues of godliness, learning how to be holy with you, but also is there to encourage and correct you. When I screw up and I am unholy, you see it close up. I can hide a lot of stuff from you guys listening to me. You don't even know what I look like. (laughs) You know, I can hide a lot of stuff from you. Todd's awesome. He's going to make me sound good. And if we screw it up, we'll just do a retake. You don't know how unholy I can be, but Jen, you do. So see Brian at (laughs) OperationThrivingMarriage.com because he's a handsome guy. Just ask me. Well, but, Jen, Jen makes me look good. Oh, come on now. You see my unholiness mm-hmm. and you're there when I'm holy to encourage me and inspire me. But when I'm unholy, you're there to correct me. You're there to call me out. Like, what are you doing? And that is the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is to be an extension of us fulfilling our purpose as humans to become fully human, to be the image of God that we were created to be. Marriage is also that symbol of our relationship to Jesus. And as 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And then Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, Paul says also, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her with the washing of water by the word so that he may present the church to himself as glorious, not having a stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. And that's a tall order. And and I'd say only by the grace of God are men able to fulfill that in their marriages. Absolutely. But the key thing here too is as the church, the church is the bride of Christ. And our marriage makes us more holy, makes us more the humans we want to be, but it's also a symbol and a foretaste and a sign of what is going on between us as the community of God and Jesus, who we are being united with Jesus in a similar way that we are united in marriage. And marriage changes us in similar ways. Salvation, being in Christ, changes us. And there's certain specific ways in which we are changed when we become one, when we are married, when we are no longer Brian and Jen, but the Harveys, when you're no longer you individually, but you are a couple married together. And being united to God in that same really beautiful way where you're united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And so are seated in the high heaven places right now, even though while you're here on earth. That is what's going on. And that's another purpose of marriage. It's important to remember. And again, going back to why do we talk about theology? What you believe impacts what you do and feel. What you believe about marriage impacts how you live your married life. And so thinking about some of the changes that happen when we get married, one, our identities change. We were once individuals, but now we're a couple. Yeah, it's like you fill out a form someplace and you're checking off, are you married? Are you single? Are you divorced? Have you been widowed? It, right. it, it's it's that status that is, again, across the Western world that you're checking that box and it's an identity thing. Yeah, our identity has changed. Even if you don't have the marriage license, even if before those things happened, the identity of people was still changed. I mean, in the ancient world, 
one person moved out of their house, moved into a new house, symbolizing this was a picture of their identity. They're no longer this, they're that. Mm -hmm. And we, our identity here in the U.S., it's common for the wife to change her last name. So there's even this very, I mean, our identity, our names are important to people because it de- it's in a way defining them. Mm-hmm. And so in our culture, um, women choose to redefine their identity occasion- uh, often. Um, and you're not less human if you chose to keep your maiden name. Oh, if for you're, sure. If it's, you're it's in a, a personal choice. Culture it's just where, we're talking historically. Yeah, if you're in a culture where the name um, convention is different. That's not the point. The point is our identity changes, and this is a symbol of that change in identity. But also our independence changes. And Jen, unpack that a little bit. I want you to unpack this because so many times this losing of independence is viewed as negative for women, as the women lost who they were. And that's not really what I'm trying to get at here. Well, that, that's not how it should be. And that would be a negative example because that's, again, not how it, how it should be in God's kingdom. But really having my lawyer hat on, and it's almost impossible to take it off, feel bad for our kids about that. But just as to that independence, property becomes joint property. And in the law, that was really set up in a lot of ways to be protecting women because they wanted to make sure that if there was going to be some sort of a a separation or divorce, that the wife has an ownership interest as that protection. Michigan was the last uh, state to get rid of something called dower rights, which effectively, not getting into a law school class for you on this podcast, was an ownership right in the husband's property. And that was something that was really empowering for women there. And And even going back into the ancient world, a lot of people misunderstand like the bride price or the dowry or something like Mm -hmm. that as the dad buying his way into getting the daughter out of his house. Or selling her effectively, right? But really, that whole process was intended to protect her and make sure that she had property, that she had something to go on. And if for some reason there was a divorce, at least in Hebrew culture and um, in Roman culture, if there was a divorce, the woman kept her part of what was given, that dowry, that went with her. So That's great. So it, it, again, it's, More it's not- More empowering than we would have thought. Yeah, marriage isn't this disempowerment of women. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that is, I mean, our independence does change in the sense of property. Right, and, and the idea too of decisions being made together just for, for the benefit of the couple, because of course, the head of the household should be Jesus Christ. But it's one of those things where we make decisions together as spouses because we want to make sure that whatever decision we're making, as long as it's what's following within what God has commanded of us and requires of us and in his morality standards, we want to make sure that what the decision that we're making is essentially pushing the household forward, pushing the family forward, the the marriage forward. It's not just about me or just about you. Every decision we make impacts each other. An example of just last night, right? When we were Uh trying to plan. What are you going to (laughs) say? When we were trying to plan that trip. Yeah. We were planning on going on a trip. Um, We wanted to go to Chicago and something happened with the weather. We weren't going to be able to go 
as we'd initially planned. Right. Snowstorm in the Midwest. Yeah, like imagine that. Three it to snows. five inches. <laughs> so we had to change things around. We didn't want to white knuckle it as we were driving and make a four-hour drive into a six or eight-hour drive, potentially, under hazardous conditions. And you and I had a little bit of a difference of opinion about what we should do. Mm-hmm. Should we go... Um, should we try to reschedule and we were going to lose the Airbnb for because they didn't have more availability later mm-hmm. in the weekend? So we had to use that money that we weren't going to get back. So should we just go later or should we try to do both? And I was thinking, why spend extra money? We can go sure. later. But as you were pointing out, it's be- it was better for the family to possibly go earlier and just, okay, suck it up and do the two trips. But if we'd stuck with my decision without consulting you, we would have done one thing and it might've been better for me, but not the family. Your position, if we hadn't discussed it, it might've been better for you, but not for the family, but we had to work that out together. So neither one of us had the authority or ability to make that decision, our independence in making that decision was lost because we had to make it together. That's true. We lost our independence. And then pardon my alliterated three points. I didn't do it on purpose, but my- It's it's a pastor thing. My my seminary roots are showing here. Mm -hmm. Our image changes, our identity, our independence, and then our image also changes when we're married. Right, because we were, it it was something where we were once- independent of each other, and now we're being seen and viewed as a unit because we are. And these same changes happen at salvation. Mm -hmm. You know, our salvation changes our identity. We are now children of God. Our identity, our position, we are adopted. Our our names change. How we are viewed by God changes. Who we are changes. And we're in the process of changing but that change has happened and will continue to happen. Our identity changes. Our independence changes. I mean, yes, the earth has always been God's. We couldn't take it from him if we wanted to, but now we are voluntarily giving all of our stuff to God. It's not ours. It's God's. Our decisions must be made in the light of Jesus and his death and resurrection and the new creation that he inaugurated with that. Our decisions, our independence is no longer, we're no longer independent. We are dependent upon Christ in a way that we did not understand before. And our image, our image changes. How we live communicates to people around us what we believe about Jesus. What you believe impacts what you do and how you feel. Marriage changes our identity, independence, and image. Salvation, who we are in Christ, uh, changes our identity, our independence, and our image. Part of the purpose of marriage is to be a sign and a symbol and a foretaste of what it means to be the church married to Christ. And I love that interdependence in in the family unit that we have and we experience in our family, but also coming into the family of God and just that uh, uh, concept of us being adopted into God's family. When you see families, human families just across the world who have brought adoption in. A lot of times adoption can be very costly. There's a lot of hurdles to overcome. And it's just a beautiful thing to form this family. And the parents know that these adopted kids, we don't even call them adopted kids. They're their kids, just like any kid that they would have had biologically. And guys, regardless of what you think about the singer Madonna 
what I read an article about her and, and one of the kids that she had adopted from Africa many years so what, ago. So what's the, what's the di- same thing for a woman? So men have man crushes. What do women have? Because Madonna has been yours since before I met you. Oh my goodness. She's one of my workout pow- pa- uh, partners. It's When I work out, it's Madonna, it's George Michael, it's Aretha Franklin, it's Tina Turner, and they're all cheering me on. So, so it, you're, 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 <laughs> woman, you're a woman crush, your girlfriend. I mean, I, I, I don't, don't know what don't it is, know. but it's no, Madonna. Madonna is definitely not my girlfriend friends, but you know, <laughs> I, I love our Madge, okay? But what she, she had said in this magazine article about, you know, again, this son of hers that she adapted from Africa, she's like, you know what? He gets these characteristics of being very driven from me. You know, he's just got most of my DNA, she said. And it's just a really beautiful thing of adopting this child. And had she not pursued him in a in another continent that she had no reason to go to other than pursuing that love for for kids like that and taking him in a, as her own. And again, he is fully her son. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and that's what God's done for us. Yeah. And so, hey, guys, thanks for tolerating me geeking out on theology. And me apparently geeking out on Madonna and her kids. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope it makes sense to you why we did this, because what you believe is so important. And we talk about this time and time again. Marriage doesn't get talked about a lot. The theology of marriage gets talked about sometimes in like a wedding sermon. But let's be honest, when we go to the wedding, we don't care what the pastor's saying. We're there to celebrate the bride and groom, and we're excited for them. And that sermon, I'll give you a, a sneak peek behind the curtain. Every wedding I do, it's the same sermon, and no one has come up to me say, oh, wait a minute, did you do that the last wedding you did? Because first of all, most of the time, the same people aren't showing up at the wedding and no one's listening to me anyway. And I know that. (laughs) I know they're not listening to me. They're looking at the bride and groom because it's really celebrating what God is doing in them. I just happen to be there to represent God in what he is doing in them and make it legal. And it's beautiful. But theology, what we believe, we need to talk about the theology of marriage because it affects how we live as a married couple. So thanks for indulging me. And me. (laughs) And thanks for being a part of the Operation Thriving Marriage podcast. Thank you for joining us on the Operation Thriving Marriage podcast. We want to be a part of God's plan for marriages to thrive around the world, and you can help us do that by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast on whatever service you use. As an added bonus, if you subscribe or review, you'll be entered into a drawing for a free copy of our book, Operation Thriving Marriage. You'll get an additional entry into the drawing if you share your thoughts on social media about the podcast with the hashtag Operation Thriving Marriage. Hey friends, we appreciate you joining us and we're so excited about this new feature on our website, which is called SpeakPipe. You can go to our website, operationthrivingmarriage.com, hit the send voicemail button and you can give us feedback on our episodes. You can ask us questions and with your permission, we'd be happy to feature your recording on a future podcast episode. Thanks for joining us, friends, and we can't wait to hear from you.